our vacancy. We have two very important dates, next Sunday and this day fortnight, when we will have two ministers who are candidates to be our new minister. They will each be taking the service. These services will be streamed live, but they will not be recorded, so it won't be possible to look them up afterwards. So if you want to hear the ministers preach, either you'll have to do so in church or you'll have to do so on the live stream. That's the 10th and the 17th. And then on Monday the 18th at 7.30, we will have a congregational meeting here in church to decide our next steps. So it's very important that everyone understands and remembers those dates. Sunday club and Bible class, back to the usual routine in church until the end of the children's uh, hymn and then out to Bible class and Sunday school. So that is now the new format. Harvest gift, our apology for the fact that many of the letters were not delivered in time, but that's because harvest was brought forward by two weeks. But to those of you who received your letters, then I want to express our appreciation, the fact that £1,375 has already been donated. If there are other gifts to come in, then we will certainly welcome them. So I'd ask you to think about that. This year, the donations are going to the property and maintenance in church, and 10% is going to the World in Need mission. And to supplement all of that, there is a quiz sheet, Woman in the Bible, see Muriel for it. The donations are £2 each. Now, tomorrow night, EW Circle of Friends meet in church at, on the 4th of October. That's tomorrow night. I'm sorry I haven't got the time, but I'm going to assume it's 7.30. And on Saturday, we have the men's breakfast at 8 o'clock in the Salty Dog on Seacliff Road. The guest is Paul Hattie, a Bangor businessman and a member of Hamilton Road Presbyterian Church. If you want to attend that, and I would encourage as many of you as possible to come to the breakfast, then please let Bill Aiken know so that he can inform the caterers about the number to expect. And the last thing, you all know this one by now, Monday is Kim and Jim Day. And you know what that means. So thank you very much for that. Ricky, you're welcome this morning. Thank you for coming. It's a joy to see you back again in Ballycrocken. And we look forward to you taking our service. Thank you, Ricky. Good to be here. God. End of the day, we are the church. Let's come before him now as we sing our first praise, fill your hearts with joy and gladness.
Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this Sunday morning to worship you, to thank you for who you are, those characteristics that you display to us, that beauty of holiness, that loving character, that forgiving nature that just keeps on forgiving. Thank you for sending Jesus into the sinful world. Thank you for sending him so that we might be redeemed. Thank you, Jesus, for giving up heaven, the perfection of that place, to come into a world that's characterized by rebellion against all that you stand for. Remind us this morning of how every day you lived here was a, was a challenge. And then you went to the cross. I know how you suffered there. The perfect Son of God, marred and broken for us. But praise your name that you rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And the world has never been the same again. And you have given us power to live for you and to witness to others of your great love for us. Forgive us for our sin for our rebellion against you, against heaven itself. Help us to walk in your ways, to love you with a love that involves all that we are. Maybe we be so in love with you that when people see us, they will see you living in and through us. Help us, Lord, to show that love, to plant it in people's lives so that they in turn may plant it in other people's lives. This morning, may our walk with you be honoring to you and to your kingdom. For it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Okay, children. Um, I've got uh, an egg with me. And you might wonder what, what an egg, uh, what I'm going to say about an egg. Well, in a way, it's a bit like us. don't mean the shape. Uh, but uh, it's like us in that uh, things can happen. It's very hard on the outside, and often we're very hard. Hard to the gospel, hard to things like that. And... They're wrong things that we do. And you tell me, and some of you tell me, what wrong things do we do? Hmm? I'll start you off. Maybe tell lies, okay? You can tell lies. Put that on there, okay? Anything else? Hmm? Yeah. Um... Let me think, could uh, maybe we, you tell me. Right, good, that's a good one. That's a great one, actually. Anything else? By the way, I had, um, we had friends years ago when uh, they were, their children were young and uh, our boys and their boys went around together. But... Um, <laughs> 
they were always fighting. And uh, one, uh, one day when the man of the house was in America, the woman, the mum said, I am fed up with you lot fighting. You just fight and fight and fight. I tell you, the next person that fights, I'm going to take five pounds off you, right? So the youngest went up to the eldest, took his fist and hit him for all he was worth in the face. And he turned to his mother and said, worth every penny. (laughs) So, uh, anything else? Uh, Let me think, tell lies, we fight. Uh, What else? Cheat, great. Anything else? Yes? Swear. Anything else? Other things can we think of that are wrong that... um, Hmm? Selfish. Yep. Getting very covered here. Anything else? Cheeky, right. Okay. Anything else? Yes. Bully? Yep. Now, look, this egg that didn't look too bad now has all this stuff over it. And when Jesus, he loves us, but he says, look, there are lots of wrong things in your life, and you need to change those. But you know, when we come to Jesus and we give our hearts to him, something wonderful happens. What do you see? Hope this works. All the when we come to him, all those sins forgiven, they go away. You know what we're left with? Something soft, not hard anymore, and white and beautiful. That's what Jesus does to us. He changes us from being the egg that was written on and all those sins and he forgives us that's us free okay you're going to be singing now and your song is Jesus loves me
Our reading is uh, taken from Acts chapter 1 and reading from uh, verse 1. Dear God, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water. In a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, Not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. The cloud hid him from sight. Amen and may the Lord bless the reading. Precious. Now we come again and bring our prayers of intercession and uh, let's come before. Our Heavenly Father, again we approach you in and through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're very aware that we are unworthy, we're sinful in our attitudes and our deeds. When we approach you in Jesus' name, we know that we can do so only because of your mercy and grace. Again, we know that you can have this ongoing relationship Uh, we can have this ongoing relationship with you because of what Jesus did for us, something we could never do for ourselves. That Jesus died and rose again, something wonderful happened in the spiritual realm whereby we can know reconciliation with you, Lord. We come to you in faith. Therefore, with confidence that we come and make our requests known to you. James reminds us that we must ask with pure motives. So as we pray, may we pray with pure motives that our aim ultimately will be that you will be glorified. We approach this time of moving back into church buildings and seeking to get our congregations back to a greater sense of community and fellowship. And as the congregation here listen to a couple of uh, candidates next week and the week after, Lord, I pray that you would help us all to be patient, to be wise. Help us to move in accordance with your will and purposes. Lord, so many people are afraid. And this fear is attacking their personal relationships. We need each other. No one is an island. We cannot stand alone. So, Lord, would you help us to reach out to each other, making sure that we keep safe, that our actions will protect others. Especially we think of those who are living alone, those who are vulnerable, Those who in lockdown seldom saw anyone and the threat of another lockdown terrifies them. Lord, bless them. Protect them mentally at this time. As far as our children are concerned, as they go to school, keep them safe, Lord. And keep those who teach and help them safe as well. The great burden on the leadership of our country. Give those in charge wisdom as to how they should govern, how they should lead us in the months ahead. Teach us through all of this and drive us to our knees in prayer. Light up this land with your love. 
bring revival to our nation. And we continue to pray in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, ever and ever. Amen. We sing praise to God uh, again in uh, the words of Guide me, O thou great Redeemer. passage that we read together, we have the final words of Christ before he went back to heaven. These are very important words because what Jesus is doing, he's emphasizing what he intended his followers to do when he was back in heaven. Now there are times when Heather will go, will give me some instructions such as, will you go and take those bags to the rubbish, 
to the dump. Uh, and then before she leaves the house, she'll emphasize it by asking, now what did I ask you to do today when you have time? And I'll say, oh, I have to take the bags of rubbish to the dump. Now Jesus had been teaching his disciples what to do throughout his earthly ministry and gradually he'd revealed more and more of his plans for them. Now he sums up what were to be the essentials of their ministry in the future. Remember to do this, he was saying. Don't forget, I'm depending on you. Of course, last words are very important, aren't they? When someone's dying and they know they're dying, and time is short, the words they say are very important. And we sit up and we take note of what they say. Here Jesus is going away. These are his final words because it says in the next verse, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus doesn't say, you might or I hope you will. But clearly he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. This power was essential. It was central to their ministry, to their mission. And I think it was John Wesley who said that the power was given so that these disciples would become witnesses of Christ's gospel, both by their preaching and their suffering. Now we need to take a moment here and ask ourselves, what kind of power was the Holy Spirit going to give? After all, there are different kinds of power. Now we have the power which goes with authority. Matthew 28 and 18, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The AV translation of that is, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the word which is sometimes translated power or authority is exousia. It's power by right and hence it's authority. It's the kind of power a policeman has when he stops a car. He wears the uniform and when I see it, if I'm driving along, I stop. Now someone who hadn't the uniform just jumped out on me and tried to stop my car, I'll probably try to swerve around him because he shouldn't be doing that. He hasn't got the authority to do it. And that's what this word means, authority, one who, whose plans must be obeyed. Now, the word used in Acts 1 and 8 is dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite or dynamic. And it seems to me that uh, power in this sense refers to sheer force and energy. Now we need to understand the link between exousia or authority which Jesus said had been given to him and dunamis, that sheer force which Jesus said he'd, uh, he would give to us. You see, exousia's authority without dunamis is pathetic. Take a riot where the police have authority but are totally outnumbered. They have the authority, they have the exousia but lack the dunamis the sheer power to do anything about the situation. So authority without power is useless. On the other hand, terrorists have uh, the dunamis power. They can blow places up and people up. They can cause fear and panic 
but they lack the exousia because they don't have a mandate. They lack proper authority. They lack constitutional authority. So on the one hand, exousia without dunamis is futile, while dunamis without exousia is extremely dangerous. What's needed is a marriage between the two, between the right to make things happen and the ability to make things happen. Our Lord said before he ascended into heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I have the right to do whatever I decide because of who I am. I'm king of kings. I'm lord of lords. Now that doesn't help you and me to carry out his commands. It just lets us know that whatever he's going to do, he has the right to do because of who he is. And by the way, because Jesus is perfect and holy, he will always do things that are in line with his perfection and holiness. But what we need is not just to know what to do, but we need to be able to fulfill his commands. And so Jesus tells those first disciples that they will receive power, that dynamic power, that enablement, that power to do when the Holy Spirit comes in them. Now we have been called to be missional, to reach out to a lost world, And while there was a command in the Old Testament for Israel to be a priestly nation, to reach out to other nations, Israel saw God's presence as being confined to the temple, to the Holy of Holies. They emphasized the holiness, the purity of God, the otherness of God. And sinful man could only approach him once a year in the Day of Atonement. However, Jesus broke down those barriers. He became flesh. He took the punishment for our sins on the cross. The curtain uh, in the temple was torn in two and God walked amongst us. And in Acts 7 and verse 48, we're told that the Most High does not live in houses made by men. God lives in us by his Holy Spirit. And he empowers us to go out and reach the lost for him. No longer to go to the Holy of Holies, but we have the right in Christ to come into his presence wherever we might be. Now, God wants to reach the lost through us. And it's his will that we are successful in the task that he has called us to fulfill. And that's why God empowers all who come. The cross made all of this possible. But too many of us have this idea that God dwells in buildings. We spend money and time in buildings and forget that God doesn't dwell here. This place is no more holy than your house or my house. It's simply a place to meet. Presbyterians used to call it the meeting house. I hear people talking about keeping a church building from closing down as if the building itself important. We are the church. We are Christ's body. We have been commissioned to go out to reach, to rescue, to renew people for Christ. We must get away from this idea that we're custodians of historical buildings. Church is not a museum to house the past, but a vibrant body of people who have been empowered with dunamis power by the exousia authority of the Lord himself 
And we have been born again to build his kingdom. You are saved to serve God, and serving God is obeying his commandments. Here is a central command. It comes from Acts 1 and verse 8. Take note. It says, and you will be my witnesses. That's not negotiable. It's not you will be my witnesses after you've, st- you've strived and reached a level in your career that you're happy with. It's not that you'll be good attendees at church or that you'll pay into the church or that you'll put down on a form that you're a Presbyterian. No, Jesus expects no less than you will be witnesses right now, this very day. As you live in your community, as you rub shoulders with other people. That's what he has commanded you to be and he has given you the exousia power to fulfill his wishes, the dunamis power to fulfill his wishes. Every member of Ballycrocken realized that the priority in their life should be to be to be a witness for Christ. Wherever they are, whatever they're doing, I believe that in a short time you begin to start to see success and expansion of Christ's kingdom. Because you're getting a new minister doesn't mean to say that he's going to or she's going to change things and, and uh, bring about uh, a revival. Begins with us, the people, the church. Let me go further. When Jesus rose from the dead and said that all authority was his, he was saying that he has the exclusive right to tell you exactly what to do with no challenge from you. He has the exclusive right to tell you where to live, what to spend your money on, what to fill your day with. Now added to this right is this dynamic power that we receive from the Holy Spirit, which leaves us without excuse. Folks, you can be a successful witness. You should be a successful witness. Because every command that Jesus gives to you, the Holy Spirit enables you to make it happen. And that's why we must never detach the Lordship of Christ from the dynamism of the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 24, the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. The truth is that God will never call you to do something for which the Holy Spirit will not enable you. The Holy Spirit's power is for God's program. And that's where we often go wrong. You see, we decide how we move forward based on what we think, based on fallen logic. And then having decided what we'll do, we ask God to bless our plans. So often, quite often, God says no. Why? Because they're not his plans. He'll not give power or blessing to something that's outside of his will. Now that thing outside of his will might be good. In many ways, godly, Christian. But if we fail because, it will fail because it's not in 
plans. You remember King David. He wanted to do a lovely thing. He wanted to build a temple for God. But God said, no, David, I want my son to do that. Or I want your son to do that. Solomon, I want him to build a temple. And although it was good and loving and David's motives were pure, God said, now witness is an interesting word. Because the Greek is martus. And that's where we get our English word martyr from. And martyrs means to die. And someone has said that death doesn't make martyrs, it just reveals them. You see, a witness is preoccupied with something other than himself. If you witness a road accident, you're called to court to give evidence. The judge won't ask you what your hobbies are or how many are in your family. He's not interested in that. That's all irrelevant. Because he's, he's interested in what you witness. And to be a witness for Jesus Christ means that we die to self, to our own interests, to our own ambitions, and we live exclusively for the interests of Jesus Christ. Let me put it bluntly. You died to self the day you joined God's family. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. And this is talking about the normal Christian life, not some kind of fanatical version of it. Notice as well the tense Paul uses here. It's not just an issue uh, we face once, it's an issue we face every day. We waken up in the morning and we say, surely we should be saying, Lord Jesus, I want to die to myself, die to all that the world uh, that would appeal to, to the natural me and the world that I might live today to fulfill your purposes. This is inherent in the word witness and martyr. It says in Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's Christ living in me and the life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. And if you claim to be a Christian, is this the conscious reality that you wake up every day? We have the power to witness through the Holy Spirit. What then about the program? What does it involve when we're called to be witnesses? It says in verse 8 that we will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were at that time. They had been there for some weeks. Not only the place where they were, but it was the place of awful failure in their experience. See, Peter had denied Jesus three times there on the night Jesus was arrested. The other disciples were a little better because they all fled. And then none of them believed the resurrection story at the first. Now Jesus was saying to them, I want you to be a witness in the place where you're known as a failure. 
I can imagine the Lord saying to Peter, remember that girl who came to you and asked you if you were my disciple and you denied it? Well, Peter, I want you to go and go and find that girl. Tell her that you're my disciple. Tell her that, I, uh, uh, that you love me. Tell her that I love her. John, you were standing at the cross when the centurion looked up and said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Well, John, will you go to him and tell him he was right and that I love him? James, you saw Pilate offer the crowd Barabbas, but they wanted me to be crucified instead, and they chanted, Crucify him. Well, I want you to go and see the Sanhedrin council. Tell them the whole story, who I really am, that I love them. And, oh, Matthew, you go and tell Barabbas. Tell him that I died for him. This was their Jerusalem. Where's your Jerusalem? You may be here today and you know that you've been a failure, a failure in your place of work. You're embarrassed to tell them that you're a Christian because you know that they wouldn't be impressed by the way you acted or the things that you said. Well, will you go back to them? Tell them that you were wrong. You've been forgiven. And they can know that forgiveness. May not be your place of work. Maybe your home. Your family. School, whatever. The question is, will you go? Not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea. You'll know that Judea was the province that Jerusalem was the capital of. You need to be to witness in the places you normally wouldn't be. Will you tell God today that you're willing to be a witness in a new territory? Deliberately, willfully, go out with the purpose of reaching others for Christ. Then there's Samaria. You know who the Samaritans were? Well, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into exile by the Assyrians. They left the southern kingdom at that time intact because they wanted a buffer state between their empire and Egypt's. When they took them off into exile, they left a few behind. They left Assyrians there too. And these people intermarried and from them came this mixed race called the Samaritans. And as a result of these differences, the Jews had no dealing with the Samaritans. They lived together in the same land. You know what we call that today? We call it the sectarian Jesus said, cross that divide. Take the gospel to the people on Mount Gerizim. You know, the first revival outside of Jerusalem was in Samaria. And Jesus said, you need to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're going to the ends of the earth. God will expect you to begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then he'll call you the ends of the earth. Will you be available? 
God has called us. He, en he has enabled us to be witnesses for him. To die to self. And to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you be a witness in the place of failure? Outside your comfort zone. Across the sectarian divide. For some of you. To the ends of the earth. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the challenge that your word brings to us. Help us, Lord, to listen to what your word says. To go and be those witnesses in the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to go to places of failure and bring your message there. To other territories to cross the sectarian divide. For some of us to the ends of the earth. Help us, Lord, to be your witnesses in this fallen world. In Jesus' name. We sing praise to God in the words of 242, To God be the glory.
Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.